What the F is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash what the if. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome back to what the if. The if is back. We apologize for the hiatus. Take a break. We're back now. Ready to if. Like nobody's business. Non-stop ifing. Non-stop ifing. <laughs> um, that, my friends, is the great NYU professor, historian of science, Matthew Stanley. How are you, sir? It's Friday. Um, it is Friday. So so life is better than it was yesterday. <laughs> is that true for all Fridays or or every day? Does it just keep getting um, better? Well, I mean, it's stochastic, so most Fridays. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also here, as always, when we are here, um, the uh, great Rockefeller University virologist, Gabby Penicia. I feel like you're uh, overhyping me. Probably like not overhyped. great, just slightly better than mid. But like, <laughs> don't get their hopes that up that high when we're coming back. <laughs> they gotta know what to expect from me. The middling. That's much more accurate. Yes. <laughs> really middling Rockefeller graduate student. Middling. Um, However, you, you said things are going well in the lab. Yeah, you know, I finally got my vats of poisonous liquid bubbling the correct way. <laughs> um, actually, in reality, I just I made some knockout cells and they took like months to grow and I didn't know if they would work. Uh, and I finally ran all the, the Western blots and it they worked. So, hooray, well, I uh, have the tools to do some experiments I'm excited about. Um, of course, that sounds like I'll turn around tomorrow and do the experiments. In reality, it's more like a month from now, I'll have done the experiment I really wanted to do. <laughs> but yeah, looking but up. That's, that's the grueling reality of experimental work, right? Spent 90% of your time working on this tiny, trivial thing that's incredibly boring, but without it, nothing works. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like the, the load-bearing coconut. And I think like, what is it, like TF2 that has the load-bearing coconut? There's just some random thing in experimentalism that's like the load-bearing experiment, but it's just like one stupid thing you have to get to work, um, and it just doesn't want to be built. I, I have to ask, what is a knockout cell? I just oh, have an image of you like know, boxing. It's it's actually the other way. Um, you oh. have it in the dish, and you look at it, and you're like, wow, that's a knock. That's a ten. No, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's you've you've re essentially removed a gene. Um, so you've knocked it out. Um, so I have cells that are like a control that I didn't really actually target anything, and then cells where I actually targeted the gene, and then the ones that I targeted, that gene is not there anymore, which is fun. Ah, oh, interesting. Um, our if this week uh, is uh, from a different realm. We're taking, we're going from biology there to um, physics. 
and uh, it's based on a um, a news article. Saw over here. Um, this is from Wired. So we're jumping jumping to Wired magazine. Matt, I assume you're familiar with Wired. I am indeed. Yep. Wired. I think um, I remember back when it was a physical magazine. That's right. Yeah, and it was one of the well, still exists as a physical magazine. Uh, it is not quite as great, literally as big as it used to be. It is smaller. No, it's, um, it's slowly shrinking. Yeah, slowly shrinking. But uh, yeah, when Wired came out, it was a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Um, anyway, still a fine, still a fine uh, mm -hmm. publication of journalism. And uh, Sophia Chen writes um, in uh, the science column. Um, there's a new article, and the, the headline is "Solar Twins Reveal the Consistency of the Universe." Solar twins reveal the consistency of the universe. Uh, with the subheading, physicists study starlight to find whether the fine structure constant. So we're going from knockout cells to the fine structure constant, mm -hmm. uh, whose <laughs> value, <laughs> yeah, it, um, who's, the fine structure constant whose value makes our universe possible. Uh, they want to find out if that is the same everywhere. Um, so just, just a quick excerpt here. Um, she... Uh, Sophia Chen writes, uh, sometimes we must look to the heavens to understand our own planet. In the 17th century, uh, Johannes Kepler's insight that planets move in elliptical orbits around the sun led to a deeper understanding of gravity, the force that determines Earth's tides. Uh, in the 19th century, scientists studied the color of sunlight, whose distinctive properties helped reveal the quantum structure of the atoms that make up the star and all matter around us. In 2017, the detection of gravitational waves showed that much of the gold, platinum, and other heavy elements on our planet are forged in the collision of neutron stars. And Michael Murphy studies stars in this tradition, an astrophysicist at Swinburne University of Technology in Australia. Uh, Murphy analyzes the color of the light emitted by stars similar to the sun in temperature, size, and elemental content. Solar twins, as they are called, he wants to know what their properties reveal about the nature of the electromagnetic force which attracts protons and electrons to form atoms, which then bind into molecules to form almost everything else. Um, here, I'll just wrap up with this. In particular, he wants to know if this force behaves consistently across the entire universe or at least among these stars. In a recent paper in Science, Murphy and his team used starlight to measure what's known as the fine structure constant, a number that sets the strength of the electromagnetic force. By comparing the stars to each other, we can learn if their fundamental physics is different, says Murphy. If it is, that hints that something is wrong with the way we understand cosmology. So, Matt. Um, He's, he's saying that it's possible that these stars are interacting, that these stars are experiencing a different kind of physics than we are? Yeah, that's right. So How could that the, be? Uh, the equations of physics that, that we use often have these um, numbers stuck in them, and we call them the <laughs> constants. Right. Uh, so 
they so for instance if we are studying newtonian gravity um you multiply the the mass of one object times the mass of the other object you're interested in then you divide it by the square of the distance in between those objects and then you multiply that whole thing by a number um and we usually write g for the gravitational constant right and it's um we say it's an arbitrary number because you could imagine that it has lots of different values. In fact, uh, the number, if I, I could just read it here from the sure, article, yeah. um, that constant equals 0.00729735265693 with an uncertainty less than one part per billion. Right, really rolls pretty, off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we just say G, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's people who dedicate their entire career to measuring that number with increasing precision. Right? Mm. So there, there's somebody who spent 30 years of their life changing that error bar from one part in 10 yeah. million to one part in a billion. Um, and that's cool. Right. Um, and then uh, and the idea is that we call these constants not just because they're numbers that don't change, but they're numbers that don't change anywhere in the universe. That is, uh, the, if gravity works the same way in other galaxies as it does here, then when the Klingon physicists measure G, they will get the same value of G. Yeah. Um, and this is... Uh, and the, Rom the Romulans also. And the Romulans, yeah. Um, yeah. So this... Um, this idea is sometimes called the uniformity of nature, is the, the technical term in philosophy. Um, and it's this, it's this unspoken but super important idea in science that essentially the, the laws of nature work the same everywhere. Um, and the, the constants are kind of representations for that. So they're worth measuring in great detail uh, because they seem to be fundamental properties of the universe. Um, but since you have to measure them in a lab, um, you know, we can't actually go to the Klingon homeworld and measure gravity there. Um, so we can assume that it's the same, or we can try to figure out some way to, um, to infer what the value must be far away from here. Right. right. Um, so you can do things like watch how distant stars move and see if the, the force of gravity seems to work the same over there as it does here. Uh -huh. um, and then this particular article um, is pointing to one of these weird, uh, one of these peculiarly weird um, constants called the fine structure constant. Um, and the structure here refers to um, not architecture, uh, but the uh -huh. structure of spectral lines. So this is the light given off by uh -huh. things like stars. Um, and if you look, so if you just look at, if you set up your prism, so you look at the solar spectrum, you'll see these um, uh, either bright or dark lines, depending on how you set up the experiment. Right. Um, and then as you get more uh, precise spectroscopes, that's the tool you use for looking at spectra, you'll see that what seems to be one bright line is actually a whole bunch of small bright lines. Um, and the 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 relation of all of those bright lines to each other, like how they're arranged, we call the, the structure of the uh. spectrum. Um, so the fine structure constant is the number that seems to govern how these lines uh, get split um, and how they actually appear. Um, That's so it's, interesting. Yeah. I, I will say I never realized, I never understood. I always assumed it was 
it had something to do with the structure of space time or something like that. And you're saying it's actually it's just it's just the it's the uh, it's how the uh, the the bands of light appear on the spectrum. Yeah, that's right. The and then and there should be but the, the, one of the interesting things about this period of constant is that it does tie back to bigger cosmological things uh -huh, too, uh -huh. um, because it turns out that fine structure of the spectra is determined by um, the way electrons and protons interact with each other, which uh -huh. is determined by the fundamental forces of electromagnetism in the universe. Right. So we we start to kind of follow back this chain of reasoning, and eventually you end up with um, the forces that let atoms exist, that is electromagnetism, it depends on this number. Um, and it seems weird because it's uh, almost exactly 1 over 137. Hmm. So when this is first discovered in the middle of the 20th century, people are like, what's up with 137? Like, you know, like you read off the gravitational constant a while ago, right. um, which, which is this long, intricate, crazy number, which is kind of what you expect when you're measuring something in nature, right? You expect it to be... Uh, messy and crazy. Um, so the fact that the fine structure constant is exactly 137 is suspicious. Wait, so you're saying that, that long number I read off is mm -hmm. the same as 1 over 137? No, no, so it's just oh. as an example. That, yeah. that long, crazy number is right. what you generally get when you measure something in nature, because nature doesn't care about our number system. Right. Um, so the fact that the fine structure constant is in exactly an integer um, uh, raises questions. Gotta be your about to say. Isn't something. it one of these things? Yeah, the like you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Like if mm -hmm. you see people, like if people try to fake their data, like apparently one of the things that is always missing are like fives, tens, like <laughs> yeah. even like numbers like that that seem mm -hmm. like too perfect to the human mind. So like one over one hundred thirty-seven, it seems suspicious, but at the same time, like. Why can it not be one over one thirty-seven? No, that's precisely this is precisely the problem you get into when you start looking at the constants of nature. Um, in that the numbers um, seem sort of precise and arbitrary, but then it's unclear whether that demands further explanation. Um, and this actually gets a special, again, a special name um, in the philosophy of cosmology. It's called the anthropic principle. So these constants, if they were slightly different, so for instance, if the fine structure constant was slightly different, we wouldn't have atoms, um, <laughs> and then we wouldn't be here, right? And if the gravitational constant was slightly different, we wouldn't have planets, and we wouldn't have stars. So again, we wouldn't be here. Um, and it turns out there's a, a bunch of these numbers that if they were ever so slightly different, um, humans would not exist. So uh, that's called the anthropic principle, that there's something special about these numbers such that we come to exist. Um, it's also called the fine-tuning problem, because if you imagine old-style radio knobs and you're fiddling with the constants of gravity, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we cease to exist once you tune it. So all of these numbers have to be tuned just so um, for us to exist. Um, so one reaction to this is uh, Gabby's, which is to say the numbers have to be something you shouldn't be surprised by any particular value. And you shouldn't be surprised that um, 
those the the particular numbers that we get relate to us because if we weren't here, if the numbers were different, right. then we wouldn't be here to make that observation. Right. So that's typically called the weak anthropic principle. Um, Ouch! Because I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, or the the WAP. Um, <laughs> oh, that that has. Oh, it's too early for you to be bringing that up. <laughs> well, I've, I've, unfortunately, um, the other version of this is the strong anthropic principle, um, uh, the, the SAP. Um, <laughs> the, uh, and the, the strong anthropic principle um, says that there is deeper meaning to these, princ- to these numbers being exactly so. Huh. Um, and that often shades into like, God made the universe for us. Yeah, um, because uh. God must have engineered the constants of nature to be perfect uh, for us to be here. Um, or maybe there's a multiverse where there's lots of different possible values. Um, but these actually, this is in some sense, this is exactly what the Solar Twins experiment is trying to figure out. Um, because it might be that the fine structure constant isn't 1 over 137 everywhere in the universe. Maybe it's only 1 over 137 here. Right. Um, and it, it, it these um, exactly what the value of these constants is uh, is um, does speak to apparently the deep structure and purpose of the universe um, uh, because you can make these grand cosmological inferences from the fact that the constants have exactly the value that they do. So now, um, I, yeah, I was going to ask a potentially extremely stupid question. Um, <laughs> so I mean, right right now where we are, mm-hmm. our atoms are able to exist because uh, you know this one fine over one thirty-seven numbers yep. mm-hmm. one, one over one thirty-seven. If you like stepped into an area where it was one over one thirty-eight, yeah, would you immediately get turned to dust, or would you be bringing with you some inherent property of? Like, is it like the atoms are assembled differently as long no, as they came from a place that's where it's a really good question. Um, and, and it's not quite clear. And it's also not clear even how you would test such a thing. Um, because the, that, that question is essentially, um, how, why do the laws of nature function at all? Um, so if they're a, if they're a property of space time, that is a property of a particular part of the universe, then yeah, when you step in, um, into a, that different patch of the universe, then the, the forces holding your atoms together will start behaving differently. Mm. So the electrons will spin off from your nuclei and your atoms will all collapse. Um, that would be Take a bummer. that sap. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I should say that's not the only possibility. The other, another possibility is that the laws of nature are in the atoms themselves, um, in which case you would be fine. So you could go explore those bizarre parts of the universe. Right, um, right. You wouldn't want to mix your atoms with the atoms in that other part of the universe. So like bring your own air, don't eat the food. It's, yeah, that's right. It's like going yeah. into the fairy realm, right? Um, okay. Don't eat any food, don't take any gifts. Um, uh, otherwise, you'll be trapped there forever. Yeah. Or just blasted apart as your atoms <laughs> yeah. can no longer hold together. One way or the other. Yeah. So, um, do it. So far, we've never seen um, uh, a part of the universe where the laws of physics mm-hmm. seem to be 
acting differently, right? No. That's always being tested, but we've never actually Well, found. that's what this, it turns out to be tricky to test because it's really, yeah. you know, all of our cosmological observations are based on the assumption that the laws of nature are the same everywhere. Um, right. And right. that's an assumption right. is different than a test. So uh, it's hard to know how to do these tests without. Well, in fact, we all, we know what happens when you assume. When you assume you make you 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 make a uh, a sap out of you and me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's um, so it's tricky to to figure out a way to test without um, sort of begging the question, as it were. Um, right. And this particular uh, experiment is sort of an attempt to get around this. So can we? test the fine structure constant at a distance without making assumptions about what the fine structure constant is, right. uh, or without assuming that it is uh, uniform in that way. Um, so this is a, a spatial, the possibility of spatial variation. The laws of nature work differently in different places. But you can also yeah. imagine that they vary temporally, too. That is, uh, maybe earlier yeah. in the universe, the fine structure constant right. was different, too. Uh, and that we can't observe directly either, but would have profound changes um, for what the uh, uh, what the nature of the universe is. Yeah. Is this it, something they, oh, I was going go to ahead. say that, you know, since essentially looking at distant things is looking into the past because it takes mm -hmm. so long for that light to reach us. Yeah. Is that a kind of thing that can be seen? Like if you're trying to measure the fine structure constant of a really distant star, yeah. is that essentially still a glimpse into the past? Or does it not really work that way in this case because you're yeah. probing at a fundamental law of the universe? No, so it is It is a glimpse into the past, as you say, um, but extremely difficult to, uh, let's see here, to get a clear answer for. Um, mm. you kind of have to, so, so if you look into the past, assuming that the laws of nature are the same, then you can get certain information about the early universe. But if you accept that the laws of nature might be changing, um, then you kind of need to know how they might have been changing such that, because that will change what it is mm. you're seeing. Um, so it's, I don't know, a chicken and egg problem, catch 22, something like that, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, is, is what? What he would see is um, he would be looking at one of these spectra and he would see lines in a different That's place. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So he would see these. So he's running the, the spectra for distant stars through very precise spectrometers right. um, and then looking to see how the, the lines are arranged and then essentially checking to see if it matches the, the lines we have um, here in our laboratories. Uh, and that's um, so it's a hyper precise measurement and harder yeah. to do for distant objects as well. Yeah, but yet so dramatic. Like if he, oh, saw, yeah. okay. if he saw mm -hmm. a, a shift, it would be an obvious thing that everybody could see. Well, here. hopefully that's right. And then the question is how you interpret that shift that you see. Right. Um, and spectra, or the, this spectroscopy, this this sort of subfield of astrophysics that deals with these lines and tries to interpret them, um, is full of these great aha moments. Um, uh -huh. So, for instance, um, one of the early pioneers, a guy named uh, Joseph Lockyer, 
um, is that this is the very early days of spectroscopy when people are first pointing their spectroscopes at the sky. So it had been used in the lab. So you would you would take a chunk of something and you would set fire to it in your lab and then you would look at it through your spectroscope and you'd say, okay, that's cesium or whatever. Uh -huh. um, but then when you point it, and then you point your spectroscope at the uh, sun and you say, oh, well, I see that same spectral line I saw in my lab. The sun must have cesium in it. Um, so Lockyer has this great moment in which he points the spectroscope at the sun and he sees a line that nobody had ever seen before. So what do you do with that fact? Um, and he says that must be a new substance that no one has ever measured in the lab before. Um, but that's, and, and specifically he has to say, I have, I have detected a new kind of thing that no one has ever touched, that no one has ever seen in the lab, that you can't have a handful of, but I am sure exists. And then he says, I can tell you, you know, what its properties are and things like this. And he wow. names it helium, right? After helios. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then once he, and I said, this is hugely controversial because there's a lot, because this, this is making the, the kind of assumptions we're talking about here, that, that nature is uniform in a way, because maybe just the laws of spectroscopy work different on the sun um, mm -hmm. than they do here, right? That's not an unreasonable thing to, to think. Mm -hmm. um, but he says, no, they must be the same. And if they're the same, then this substance exists. Uh, and then, so the chemists scurry back to their labs, as they are wont to do, um, and look really carefully and find this substance in the lab. Um, it so happens that helium is really hard to um, interact with here because it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't bond with anything. So it's not stuck in, in chemical compounds like most things. Um, and it's, it's literally slippery. Like it's hard to keep in a jar. <laughs> um, so if you don't know to look for it, then it's really hard to find, but it's in huge quantities in the sun. So you can measure its spectrum easily. I'm amused by how often science gets boiled down to whether or not there's a line <laughs> I well, I, I don't right. know because yeah, I realize this also. Like too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, for example, the thing that I was talking about that I finally had something work. I did something called a Western blot. Um, it's actually kind of a funny joke that they're called Western blots because uh, the original developer of a similar technique, his last name was Southern, and so anybody <laughs> who riffed off of that idea just named it a different cardinal direction. Um, <laughs> so Western blots are like a protein <laughs> equivalent where essentially you run protein on a gel so it'll sort by size. So the smaller stuff runs towards the bottom, the bigger stuff is slow and heavy so it runs towards the top. And then you add like a essentially a fancy piece of paper over top of it, apply a charge through it, and it'll lift all of those proteins that have separated out and stick them into the paper. Um, and then you can use antibodies to find, you know, what's there or what's not. Like if you want a specific protein that you're looking for, you can use antibodies against that protein to bind it. And then you use a secondary antibody that, you know, will make a color or something like that. But essentially, functionally, what happens is you get a band. You get a little stripe that tells you if it was there or not. Yeah. And so much of science and biology and now physics, I'm realizing, yeah. is us coming back to being advanced monkeys and being like, there's a line. Yeah, there's a line. Great. <laughs> cool. Great. Wrap it up. Publish it in science. Like, great. That's no, that's I great. I love it. Um, and I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, uh, 
helical structure of, of DNA comes from uh, X-ray cluster crystallography, which is also a series of lines. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I, I, I quite like that uh, as an image. Is, do we do we make it across the line? Yeah. yeah. I took a COVID test yesterday, a rapid ah, test. Good example. Yep. It also mm-hmm. is fortunately one line and not two. Two would have meant I had COVID. So I only, I only had one. So I was Congratulations. Negative. Thank you. Know, you. On your yes. monolinearity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but this, uh, th- this discovery, uh, if anyone discovers anywhere that the laws of physics uh, or laws of nature are operating differently in one place than another would be mm-hmm. an astounding uh, it would be an astounding discovery. thing because it, it because it questions the uh, the fundamental assumptions about how the universe works that is like it's really hard to do cosmology if the laws of nature are flipping out from day right. to day right. uh, from place to place um, and so like if tomorrow the laws of nature changed here on earth um, I mean, it might be something as trivial as your phone doesn't work anymore. All right. I mean, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. um, but it might also be DNA can't unspool itself properly anymore right? if you mess with the fine structure constant. Uh, wow. And that would be inconvenient, right? That would be, yeah. that would be a bad thing for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if we discover that the laws of nature are actually not stable in the way we think they are, um, then that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about, you know, if you find out that the laws of nature in, say, a specific area are different, how does this change how you look at everything else? Do you now have, like, two, like, you know, potential things that you plug into that equation and then see which one makes sense with what you're seeing? Do you just turn it back into a question mark and start solving for X every time you have to look at a distant star? That's so probably the second. So it would actually, so I should say astronomers would be, even though it would question everything we know about the universe, people would be super excited about it because it implies a whole new kind of research <laughs> program that you could do. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, the first time we discover this, it's going to be that we have two values for the fine structure constant. And then, um, then we have, you know, we find another place and we have three and then we have seven and we have 15. And the hope is that there would be some pattern to that. So, Mm. Oh, maybe it's G type stars have a fine structure constant like this and M class stars have a fine structure constant like this. Um, so because that's generally how it works is when you find something that you think is always true in the world, turns out to vary in some interesting way, then you hope that there's a pattern to that variance. And then essentially what you've done is you find a new law of nature. You found a new law of nature underneath what you thought the old law of nature was yeah. going to be. All right. Yeah. Um, and then that's cool. And then you get the Nobel Prize for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. No biggie. <laughs> yeah. And you would know it would no longer be called a constant. Well, I mean, this is the the perversity is I'll bet we will still call it a constant, oh. <laughs> um, even though it's not anymore. Um, right. We do stuff like that all the time. It's right. It's quite right. irritating, I think. We demote and Pluto. I, <laughs> but yeah, for instance, right. Um, and, uh, and I should say um, in um, uh, for for full honesty that it's pretty clear that the fine structure constant is no longer exactly 137. Um, it oh. looks like it's 137 point something, um, which which is kind of disappointing because it was kind of a weird, interesting mystery. And yeah. now it's just <laughs> another random number. Um, 
but he used damn to be it all like, to hell <laughs> like richard Feynman is it even worth it anymore to, used to <laughs> hold meetings in room 137 in the physics building at caltech uh, just to awesome. like tweak people <laughs> so now does it have to be like in the closet of room 137 <laughs> six like, inches to the had, right like the point the two <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome well matt thank you for this extraordinary uh um, and finally structured. Wow. Yeah. I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling particularly <laughs> constant today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um uh Gabby, is there anything you'd like to plug coming up? Anything coming up? Um not coming up. It should actually already be out. Um <gasps> yes. Uh, over you know, Halloween was a, a hot minute ago. Um and I won a like a I won like third place in a small short story contest at uh, yes. Honey Guide magazine. Uh, so they had oh. a short story contest, which was um, Black Cats Are Good Luck. And so essentially it was stories off of that theme. Um, so if you want to check out what I wrote, um, it's over there, Honey Guide magazine. Um, and the story is The Six Remaining Lives of Isosceles the Cat. And it's just kind of cutesy and nice. The cat is fine. Awesome. I feel the need to tell you that the cat makes it to the end of the story so that nobody like <laughs> nobody gets concerned. So the link is again, or just say the uh, it's called Honey Guide. Honey, Honey Guide Magazine. Yeah, Honey Guide Magazine. All right. Uh, yeah, and send me the link. I will. Put I can post. I can add a link. Yeah. Yeah, that would be excellent. All right, cool. And uh, so that's a different story than the one you had in um, Mlock. Yeah, yeah. So the the Neon Hemlock uh, story that's yeah. coming out in the anthology, uh, they still estimate the ebook as being coming out sometime before 2023, but their time is running out a little bit. Uh, but the print book should be apparently sometime in like the January February, all right, like time frame. So, but it looks pretty cool since they have like custom illustrations for each of the stories. Um, so on like the Kickstarter for uh, Neon Hemlock Press's Luminescent Machinations, if you're curious, they posted an update uh, that shows like the individual, like at least one sample with like, you know, the title page with like the nice illustration. It looks really cool. I'm kind of just stoked for it. Very Like cool. just to nice. see like everything yeah. else that's in it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. That's exciting. So look out for that. Gabby's burgeoning literature career. Um, yes, the the long apprenticeship. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Very good, Matt. Anything you would like to plug? No, I think I'm plugless for a little bit. All right, um, to the end of the semester. Right. right, right. All right. I also am plugless, I believe, at the moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's wonderful to be back um, again. Apologies uh, to everybody for the absence. Uh, I had been posting sort of reruns, so I don't know if you caught up on any of our earlier episodes. Let us know what you thought about those. Um, again, we are back. We are still on Patreon, so thank you to every one of our Patreon members who have stuck with us. That was very kind of you. Um, and uh, patreon.com slash whattheif. And uh, whattheif.com is our website. Um, we are also on this, uh, this website that's having all kinds of controversy called Twitter. Uh, it has this, <laughs> this new young CEO who's just shaken up things, <laughs> so, but I'm just hoping just to continue, just continue doing what we're doing. We're just posting fun science there. So, uh, come check that out, uh, on Twitter. We are at what the if show. So thank you everyone. Um, and...
Matt, would you uh, lead us in the, uh, the the closing rituals? Yeah, we're a little out of practice, so I'm trying, right. trying to get back in the groove here. Um, what is? Yeah, it? but it's not. I mean, it's not not that unusual. I mean, you're you're walking down the street going to yeah. get a bagel and bagel bobs. That's um, right. <laughs> uh, but as you walk into bagel bobs, uh, you suddenly realize that the constants of nature are slightly different inside the bagel shop. <laughs> Um, and uh, it is no longer possible for oh. garlic molecules to form because the fine structure constant is now 1 over 136. So you grab the nearest everything bagel and scream, What, what the is? Thank you, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>